right, and welcome to another episode of us reviewing new foods because yes, this is not sponsored. Although KFC, if you'd like to sponsor us, our DMs are open. Um, but we just tried the Beyond Nuggets from KFC, and mind blown. Yeah, like truly, because you, you've had like I'm sure you've had plant based chicken before. Yeah. This was like a whole other like vegetables. Like, yeah, it's exactly. Not quite there. This is a whole other step, and like you would like bite into it, and you'd look at the chi- you'd look at it, and you're like, "This looks like chicken," and it, it tastes like chicken, like square chicken nuggets. The only thing that gives it away is that they're all just squares. Yeah, amazing. And the shout out to KFC for the the chicken dipping sauce. Yes, that was that was a good sauce to go with it. It was. It's it's pretty much Chick-fil-A sauce, but don't tell Chick-fil-A that. Yes, it's just a tiny bit, maybe a little bit more paprika in it. Mm. But you're not here to hear us talk about nugget reviews. You're here to listen to the show. So But wait, can we have a nugget review section in our show? That I don't want to eat nuggets every time we do this. <laughs> That's probably a good point. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of nuggets. True. Um, I'm Leah. And I'm Beth Ann. And this is Shiwaraku. Where did they get in a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haul you. Let me turn down the thermostat. Who is this band? We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is Shiwaraku. Uh, I don't think we have any, like main business to talk about but it's been a while since i've begged you all for a review um so if you're listening to this on apple podcasts or spotify or you have apple podcasts or spotify and that's not where you listen uh leave us a review if you leave it on apple a comment really helps about what you like about the show um spotify reviews are a little wonky where you have to at least listen to like part of an episode before to let you review but you know you can play it on mute if you don't want to actually listen to the episode over there just give us a five-star review because the music podcast charts on spotify are hella weird yeah they are and i don't understand them it's like people keep putting remixes and like unreleased songs on spotify as a podcast they, yeah they can get around copyright laws like right someone keeps putting all of taylor swift's unreleased demos on as a podcast and i'm like you can't do that you can't just yeah. put her songs up but that's how they get around it and i am putting out another offer the offer is if you leave a review and you take a screenshot of it and you tag me on twitter not on instagram this time Twitter specific. This is a Twitter exclusive deal. If you do that, I will give you a GIF and a compliment mm. based off of your profile mm. picture. So one time offer for this month. Good for the month of February. Twitter exclusive. So I feel like the site violently shook me to cover this artist it even reached out to me yeah it even <laughs> it, it, went to Leah. it went to leah and said hey make sure beth ann isn't a dumb piece of shit and doesn't do what i say this <laughs> this month which is odd because originally i was gonna cover meatloaf and i didn't choose him and then he died so <laughs> table the combo of wondering if i killed him uh no i think covid killed him but but i mean you know, it's it's an odd thing. I'm that just is saying. weird. But anyway, I it started off with I woke up with 
an Alana song in my head. And then I went to the gym and I heard that same song. And it was just very random. Like there was just, I wasn't listening to it. It just all of a sudden popped up. You know, my brain automatically goes, you know, uh oh, something's up. So I text you and I'm like, I think the site is spoken. And then you randomly had a song in your head. I had, isn't it ironic or ironic or whatever it's called, stuck in my head for like an entire day. And I didn't even listen to that song. It just, I got in my car to go run an errand for work and it was like, Ray. On your wedding day. Yeah. Yeah. I had a hand in my pocket. And that's the same one that's been playing on repeat at yeah. the gym all of a sudden. They like that song all yeah. of a sudden. That, that's in the mix this month. And then to really drive the point home, the first thing I see a couple days later while on Instagram is an Alanis mm-hmm. shirt that went up for sale at a clothing store I follow. It wasn't like, you know, a sponsored post. Yeah. This was the actual like feed post for that day. First thing I see on Instagram. So it was definitely a hostile takeover. <laughs> I'm not sure why yet. I'm sure it'll make sense, as it often does. But I am glad to talk about her because I enjoy our 90s episodes. Like, I feel like, I don't know if it's because we were alive then, so we yeah, can enjoy the nostalgia a little bit more. We've got some memory. Yeah, absolutely. But they're just always the funnest episode. It's 90s month over here at yes, Shiraku for some is. reason. Um, light trigger warnings. Um, and by light, I mean, I don't have multiples. <laughs> Just one. Just one. Um, there's a little bit of like ED talk, but not that much. But anyway, let's dig in to Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette, full name, uh, was born in Ottawa, Ontario on June 1st, 1974. She has a twin brother named Wade, who is also a musician and a yoga instructor. First of all, I always forget she's Canadian. Yeah. Second of all, I had no idea she was a twin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Both her parents were teachers in the military. So like when she was super young, like up to the age of six, um, I think she was in Germany for one point where I think all military people go eventually sometime in their career. Um, But her music endeavor started at age six when she started playing piano and singing um, she also did some acting when she was in junior high on that really weird kid show. You can't do that on television. Have you ever seen that? I have not. It's basically all that beta, uh, but like it's, it's the show is fine. Like it's a sketch show with kids, but it's just, I guess the intro. So I just had made this connection. All that was really Saturday night live. Correct. Diet. <laughs> the diet version of diet. Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and then some of them grew up to go on to the, yeah. the, the big boy Saturday Night Live. Then Keenan just said, I'll do it all. Yeah, I'll do it anyway. But it had a really creepy like intro where it was like kind of stop motion animation. And anyway, it creeped me out. Um, but we'll come back to that show. We'll come back. So she starts playing piano at six. And then she's just like, let me go record a demo at nine years old. Aww. And she sends it to MCA Records in Canada. And the main exec uh, said over there that her voice is, quote, promising, but declined to sign her because, quote, what am I going to do with a nine-year-old? I mean, that is fair. But, you know, good for you, Alanis. You shot your shot. Yeah. And you went for it. I'm proud of her for that, you know, and it's good she learned that rejection then 
because a lot of us don't learn that yeah well some of us some of us more than others (laughs) (laughs) learn that rejection depending on your range of popularity in school (laughs) (laughs) if you were a theater kid you learned that quite young not if you were a three as a theater kid yeah anyway um so in 1987 she met entertainment manager Stephen Cloven, helps her land a gig at the 1988 World uh, World Cup of figure skating with Leslie Howe, who was in a synth pop group at the time and was backing her up. Um, she sung O Canada, so which is interesting because it's synth pop with O Canada. Interesting mix. Um, but Cloven really wanted more set to make that connection with Howe um, because she really thought like you can help her get ready for star search the greatest 80s talent competition oh my god she did end up being on it but like that they decided eh, let's go record deal way so they went that direction so she goes back to old mca records <laughs> she's 16 she, no either 14 or 15 at this time but they do sign her go good um as she's getting ready, though, to record her album, keep in mind, she's 14 or 15. The studio pressures her to lose weight, which is just dumb. That is dumb. Dumb. I mean, it's dumb regardless of age, but especially at 14 or 15. Yeah. Dumb. And this leads to her becoming anorexic and bulimic, which she goes to therapy for. Um, there's... I already said that. Um... She also has a crazy schedule up to this point. Keep in mind, she's still in school. So the the next two albums that we'll talk about, she's still in high school. Like Dang. she's in a public school, I'm assuming, doing life. And her schedule is she goes to school. She comes back from school. She goes straight to the studio, stays up till 3 or 4 a.m. recording and writing, repeat. Holy shit. Like, how did that get greenlit? That's not healthy. No. I mean, like, when we've covered that before, usually cocaine's in the picture, but they're not giving cocaine, I don't think, no, I to mean, a 14 or 15-year-old, unless they're pulling a Judy Garland and putting her on cigarettes. And they're also not going to Barbarites. school, usually. Yeah. That's that's one extreme extracurricular activity. Yes, quite. But anyway, her first album drops in 1991, and it's called Alanis. In the vein of Selena, reminded mm. me of that. Um, and it was co-wrote with Leslie Howe. Now, mm. this is a pop synth album. Keep in mind, grunge is there, but it's, it, you know, she's not grunge yet. So it's very pop synth, almost in the vein, like a Paula Abdul kind of, that kind of yeah. genre. I don't know what genre that is other than a Janet Jackson, Paula Abdul genre. Um but I went and listened because I was like, hmm, how's that going to work with her voice? Because she has a very unique voice. And surprisingly, it works super well. Like, I want to listen to this album. Well, now. you know, I was like, at first I was like, did she change her voice? Because people will do that. And that's completely fine. If anything, it shows range. But her, it's exactly the same voice she sings in. And it works in an odd way. Um, that album only released in Canada. And it did go platinum. So it did really well in that uh, industry. But it did receive like some mixed reviews from critics. 
do we give a shit about the critics here? No. No, no we do not. Um, and like I said, commercially, it's a hit. The biggest singles from that album are Too Hot and Feel Your Love and Walk Away, which stars Matt LeBlanc <laughs> playing pool and flirting with Alanis. That's amazing. This was pre-friends? This is pre-friends. Okay. This is this is young Joey. Oh, baby Joey. Yeah, baby Joey. Um, but I thought that was cute. Um, in August of 1992, she puts out another album called Now Is a Time. And I got to show you this album cover because it is so 90s. Like, it almost hurts me. I can picture the word art now. You you know it. It's going to confirm in your head. I guarantee you. Why were you. we obsessed with brush fonts as a society in the 90s? <laughs> it's similar to a brush font. Everything I can picture from the 90s has that stupid brush font font with like a drop shadow. Ooh! Look at, but so I've seen many that. albums have that exact composition. So what it is, it's that like what like it's basically has it's a split tone background with, behind a square photo with a square photo in the middle. You've seen it, yeah. You've, you've seen it a million times. I can't name another album that has that exact cover, but I can picture it. It's purple. Yes. yes. I don't know what album I'm thinking of. So anyway, it's called Now's the Time. It's more ballad based. Um, it wasn't really received very well and only sold half of her first album. So after those two albums, MCA Records is like, our contract's fulfilled and they move on without her. History will show this is a bad move. I, I have a feeling. Because in 1993, she meets manager Scott Welch and he convinces her to move from Ottawa after she graduates to Toronto help her career, work with a different group of people. And after the MCA thing, she there was an interview I read and she said, you know, I'm okay, that, to paraphrase, like she was like, I'm okay that this happened because you need like a clean slate anyway. So she was completely down to try new ways of doing music. Um, so once she's in Toronto, she meets a producer by the name of Glenn Ballard. There's just like an instant connection between the two. According to Ballard, within 30 minutes of meeting, they were already in the studio experimenting with sounds. Within an hour, they had already wrote the first song. Jeez. And there began this amazing writing partner, Alanis and Glenn. Um, so like I mentioned, she is looking for a new slate. She's ready to get out there. She's 20 years old, has two albums under her belt. Uh, is accomplished <laughs> was on star search and on tv um but anyway she's like it's time for a new direction in my life and a new theme for this album what does she have angst check mm. unhappy relationships check um which genre perfectly encapsulates hmm. that message it is 1993 if you guessed alternative rock and post grunge, you are correct. <laughs> so in 1994, they start working on the album. They're recording some demos of it, um, which is recorded in 12 to 16 hour shifts, which is just an insane schedule. But at least she's out of school. Yeah, she's not going to school and trying to do homework. This, this is her you know, full time job. They also recorded both the demos and I believe the professional ones, but don't quote me too much on that. And like one to two takes. 
That sounds about right. That's actually, I'm learning that's a more common thing because usually the first couple takes is the best. Yeah. They, you get very Because then tired. you get in your head after the third or fourth. There, yeah. There's a lot of truth to that. And it becomes very automated. Yeah. So they record some demos, which also, fun fact, uh, the demo vocals were kept for the professional produced albums, which is kind of nuts because I was listening to the album today and there's like not a flaw in her voice. Not not a damn flaw, which is not what you always get with demos. No. Not what you always get. So they start shipping it to studios. All came back with rejection letters. Damn. Except for one, Maverick Records, which was co-founded by Madonna. Mm. So that's a good choice. Um, now, so they're recording. Um, they also bring in Dave Navarro and Flea to help what? with it yes and i think this is when dave navarro he was either with or about to be with red hot chili peppers so like he they basically were like hey we need to we have these songs but we need like riffs flea was like i got you man flea was like do you need a trumpet too <laughs> <laughs> i love flea i do too and so yeah like they came in for a good chunk of the album so like a lot of the solos and things you hear is like flea and dave navarro that's incredible yeah and then after like right before the album dropped maverick did something very interesting they go to mca records and they say hey stop circulating her last two albums because they knew how different mm. this album was going to be, which is Jagged Little Pill. Mm. But, you know, one thing I also want to point out, and I love that she said this, because the thing with Alanis, she's very transparent. She is who she is, and that's what you're going to get, which is very refreshing to see in the mm-hmm. music industry. And when I, I guess it was an interview where someone was questioning her about her first two albums and you know a lot of people tend to be like oh those were you know nothing to kind of brush off to the side and she said no like that's a part of who I was that was a version of me and that's completely fine and I don't regret it one bit and I love that Pantera should have listened yeah you can change and adapt as you figure out what you're doing and for those who don't know Pantera's Pantera sorry is a glam metal album artist sorry and then moved to the groove metal but you can listen to our Pantera episode about it. I have They're a very, adorable. They are adorable. They're so cute. I have a very long story about that one. But like I mentioned, this album has some themes. Anger and relationships to critiques about the Catholic Church. I'm always here for a Catholic Church critique yes. personally. Personally. Um, and then female sexuality, ED issues, since she had that experience very reminiscent of the riot girl movement in like mm. mission and themes mm-hmm. like it, it's it's almost feels like a ceiling to floor thing yeah because alanis is just taking that kind of movement and inspiration from it and bringing it on more of a global stage but a little bit more pop um there's it's definitely not full grunge it's not it's honestly not even full like alternative rock yeah it's an alternative rock post-grunge pop sound yeah and that's why it did such a good job appealing to the masses which we'll talk about in a little bit um but yeah the album's called jack and little pill it does not have a song titled that on the album but it is pulled from a lyric um 
in the song we learn. Um, according to Urban Dictionary, reason it's also called that, because it's another phrase of saying a hard to swallow pill. Mm. Um, the main hits from that are You Wanna Know, Ironic, Hand in My Pocket, um, Hand to Feet. We also, I, I want to talk about a couple of these songs because I feel like they're important. But we're going to start with one because we have a You're So Vain-esque moment happening here. Um, mainly around the song You Ought to Know. For those who don't know what that song is about, um, on the surface level, it's about Alanis or a girl, we're assuming it's Alanis, you know, breakup, they moved on to a different person really quick, and it's like, I'm here to remind you of the mess you left behind to go to that new person kind of thing. Remember how I told you about you can't do this on television? Here's the scoop. Alana starred in five episodes. In that show, there was a segment called Out of Control hosted by Dave Coulier from Full House. I forget Uncle that Joey. he's Canadian too. What the hell? Yes. Dave, Dave and Alanis dated when she was 17 or 18 and he was 33. Ew. Now... You know, for the sanctity of the children listening, I had to put on my detective hat <laughs> and I had to put on my Shiwaraku priestess hat and find out how the hell did they meet? Was it on this set? Because that's a problem. I have a problem. I need a button that says, that's weird. That's, that's weird. weird. That's weird. So after about 35 minutes... <laughs> We should make a sound effect. <laughs> we should. That's, That's weird. After uh, <laughs> 35 minutes of combing through articles and videos. <laughs> <laughs> I love the dedication to this. Well, literally, I went on to some of the most gossipy articles, too, that just like they pose like news. But they are just not well yeah, written They're at just all. like it's some just dude's garbage opinion. writing. I am happy to report that they did not meet on that set. So good. Um, instead, they met at a hockey game, which is like Canadian Tinder, I am told. <laughs> <laughs> and I can further specify that Out of Control aired from 1984 to 1985, and Alanis was on in 1986. Okay. So there's a very good chance they did not meet then, because that would have been hella weird, because she's in like junior high school. Yeah. And he's like in his late 20s or mid 20s, probably at that point. Anyway, so they dated in 1992. They broke up. Still Alanis weird. writes, You ought to know. In an interview I watched with Dave Coulier, he said how he found out about the song is he's in his car and hears the song come on the radio and he's like, This is a damn good song. Oh no. Who is it by? Well, your ex wrote it, David. Oh no. And. <laughs> I want to throw out a potential quote in here from the Daily Mail that Lana Selechi said about this song. She said, I didn't write this song to actually to seek actual revenge. I'm all about revenge fantasy. <laughs> revenge is an art. Go for it. But Dave Coulier is fully convinced this song is about him. Hey, the shoe fits. But Alana said she will never tell who it's about. And it's like, 
six guys have previously claimed, nope, it's about me, it's about me, brings up a point of discussion. Why are guys so obsessed with songs being about them? <laughs> like, sure, it's publicity, but bro, can you just shut up and let the woman tell a story? No. God damn. No. Like, so anyway, there's that segment. And then let's move on to her most popular song, which is Ironic. And let's get a little more wholesome because we'll talk about the history, but I got to talk about my experience hearing this song for the first time. Like I said, we were in the 90s. This I was actually in the 2000s when I heard it, but I was on the school bus. It was either fifth or sixth grade. I don't know which one it was. My friend Amber, who was on the bus with me, our bus driver gave her a copy of the CD. <laughs> Which now I'm thinking about her song, You Ought to Know, and talks about going down on a guy. Probably not. Yeah, not a good choice for a bus driver to get children. Not the best option, but I appreciate where her heart was at. Um, but she showed me a copy of the song Ironic. She's like, you got to hear this this girl. Her name's Alanis Morissette. And I listened to Ironic on her Walkman on the bus. <laughs> Back in the day. Let me tell you, Little Beth Ann's, that was her anthem for the school year that song you know outside of my experience the song was huge it went gold it was her highest peaking song surprisingly only reaching number four because i really consider her like of the 90s like kind of a legacy artist in that regards but only reached number four on billboard 100 um her music video is definitely worth highlighting because it is very iconic um and in the music video like she's in a car driving around and there's like four different versions of her and they're all wearing a different sweater except for the person in the front seat driving um it's a really awesome music video it's definitely it's definitely like you know like how there's these 90s music videos and it's just these facial expressions you can't exactly place it why but something about 90s facial expressions and that weird green filter they put on everything and the weird fucking green and the yellow filter. I don't know why. Everything- yellow or green. She has in her, you ought to know, it's a big ass yellow filter. It's Everything's yellow or green for some. With the frame rate, completely choppy. And bad sunglasses. Terrible sunglasses. Why were your sunglasses so tiny? It's terrible. They were not blocking the sun. Anyway. That's because of the Matrix. I'm going to blame that directly that, on the Matrix. You know what? Honestly, there's probably some truth to that because then leather came in yes. really hot really hot and the weird hairstyle where you'd pull your hair back not with butterfly clips with the like the tiny yeah, tiny, the tiny little black ones yes. to make trinity yeah. yes yeah 100 percent. um one last quick sidebar about this song ironically it has some controversies see what, yeah. I, see what I did there um that will not be my only ironic joke by the way um so first the well actually nerds got their glasses and their Merriam-Webster dictionary out and said, well, actually, the situations brought up in the song do not qualify as the definition of ironic. Shut up, neckbeard. <laughs> and literally, like, this was a point of conversation for a while. That sounds right. In the 90s. Do I care? No. It's a banger. Songs a- don't have to make complete sense. Yes. Correct. Let it be. It's art. It's art. Um, Second, after 9-11, the clear channel communications, which is now known as iHeartRadio. Yeah, fuck iHeartRadio. iHeartMedia, 
sent out a memo banning certain songs that had questionable lyrics. This happened to be one of them because, well, there is a segment about the plane going down. Yeah. And he says, well, isn't that nice? Yeah. yeah. But basically anything with like planes or death, like they blocked knocking on uh, heaven's door, things like that. All A bunch of these songs got banned. Post 9-11 U.S. was a weird it was place. Very, and I bring this up because I got a little mad because completely unrelated, they included all of Rage Against Machines discography. <laughs> They've been waiting for this opportunity well, and they were just they're like, like, we need an American tragedy. To, to, they were like, you can only play Toby Keith. Move dude, on. What a cheap shot, man. <laughs> By the way, you can hear more about uh, Rage Against Machine in our Rage Against Machine episode. Um, anyway, so those are the stories about those songs. Um, as far as the reception of this album, originally upon the release of the album, the studio just wanted to sell enough copies to justify making another album. It was not global domination. It was not the goal. Um, but it over exceeded that expectation of just enough to get by. How it started was a radio station in Los Angeles picked up the song You Ought to Know and honestly it was just a snowball effect from there. It just became this juggernaut of an album. Um, it's hitting like all the charts including like in 13 different countries. Dang. It's also on the wiki page for one of the best selling albums of all time. Dang. Because it sold 33 million albums. So yeah. It's quite a hit for her. At the age of 21 She's set for life. God. Um, it also was listed at the Holiest of Thou numbers on the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums of All Time at number 69. Nice. Nice. Is this the 2020 list? I. It didn't say, hmm. nor did I click the hyperlink, um, which is really funny because she has a lyric in one of her songs. It's Wine and Dine in 69. Hit. <laughs> someone at rolling stone did that on purpose they're like we could put it here or here and they're like you gotta make it you gotta 69. put it there you gotta put it and then rolling stone also dubbed her as the queen of alt rock angst which is interesting because madonna who started the record label was queen of pop and it's like another crown being passed on so when it came around to award time um she was nominated for nine grammys one five including album of the year We'll talk more about like the legacy of this album later. But one thing I wanted to point it out was like this album just opened a ton of doors for women, especially in the alt rock scene. And I would consider like in that rock pop mm -hmm. area. So like Tracy, Tracy Bonham, Avril Lavigne, Katy Perry, like that kind of style. So after the beast that is Jagged Little Pill. She starts working on her next album. And I want to preface because it's going to be more of a flyby for, for a few reasons. There's more to her career I want to cover, but also these unfortunately kind of just came and went. It's hard to cover albums that just come and went. Also keep in mind, she sold 33, al 33 million albums. When that happens, the media is never fair to you. The bar is very high. The bar is very high. You will not cross it. And that is completely fine. But then like no one talks about the other shit and it's unfair. But that unfortunately is what happened in this situation. 
but I am going to highlight them briefly. So we're going to start with her 1998 album called Supposed Former Infatuation Junkie. Um, That's a title. It is a title. Yeah. Some some critics claim because it didn't sell that well. I mean, once again, you're not going to get across that threshold um, because of the title because it's too wordy. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? But um, the biggest hit from that album was called Thank You. After the release of that album, she performed at a little event slash shit show called Woodstock 99. (laughs) I have to talk about it for a few seconds because there is a documentary about Woodstock 99 on HBO Max and they show part of her performance. And one of the things they talk about first, there was only three female acts at that event. Sounds about right for the 90s, to be honest. Uh, And it's a three-day event, so each one's (laughs) on one of those days. Um, So Alanis... The token female act each day. I think it was... I'm not sure, but Alanis was Saturday, so the middle day. And then it was Jewel and Sheryl Crow. Um, Second, the lineup for Saturday night is just a weird mix. And I'm sure a lot of you know, as history tells, like there was a lot of violence at that a lot of sexual assault and people getting away with shit that's like like there was an insane amount of sexual assault that was happening um like some idiot thought it was a good idea to put the men's showers and the women's showers next to each other and only have them separated by a tarp that's not gonna work no no it did not also i mean that aside people are just gonna have sex in those showers anyway (laughs) right right and there would be like you know, they had their police officers in his peace patrol who got no training. <laughs> and They're like, hey, Joe, off the street, you want a job? Cool, let's go. You start tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, all this shit is going down. They're like, all right. Like, they didn't do anything to fix it. But anyway, so I bring that up because there's a lot of tension building on that Saturday. And there's a reason why. Because here's the lineup. Counting Crows. Ironic. Um, Dave Matthews Band. Not as ironic. Um, they are from here, though. They are from here. That is ironic because they're from <laughs> Charlottesville. Yeah, yeah. Alanis Morissette, Limp Biscuit, <laughs> Rage Against the Machine, God, Metallica. They just got heavier and heavier. They literally, because think about the crowd dynamic. This is the same I've always I have given the speech on this. You can't mix groups. You cannot mix certain groups. It is for the safety of the audience. You can't mix Limp Biscuit fans with Metallica fans. Uh, trust me, I wish we could you all cannot. coexist. It does not exist in the rock community, and it's a shame, but that is the truth. And so after Alanis plays, and her music does have, you know some rock but it's it's pretty chill for the most part compared to what's coming up (laughs) the crowd is just super like angsty like they are just and that is why i believe what went down is be the lineup did not help it's not the main reason but that did not help because you literally just have people like just raging inside so anyway against the machine against the machine (laughs) Um, the machine being Woodstock 99. <laughs> <laughs> we solved it, guys. Um, um, but yeah, so it's definitely worth watching that documentary. But let's move on to our next albums. Um, they include Under Rug Swept. That was 2002. It was her first 
album where she wrote solo. Huh, good. That's pretty cool. Um, so Did the guy from Blur harass her about it? No, not yet. <laughs> well, we'll see. It's early yet. I, heard, I saw he had to apologize. His apology was shitty. That's a. I that's didn't read it. I just saw the Twitter headline. We can talk about that in the next episode okay. if we want. So-called chaos in two thousand four, flavors of entanglement in two thousand eight. Havoc and Bright Lights in 2012. And her last album was Such Pretty Forks in the Road in 2020. Um, she had a tour for it. She had to postpone a lot yeah, of it because of COVID. Um, but there is an opportunity. If you want to see Alana, she can. But along with her album work, she also, like I said, this is why I like about Alanis. She is who she is. But she also is like not serious all the time. And I appreciate an artist who's secure in who they are and can also enjoy a good laugh mm-hmm. and poke fun of themselves like when the whole ironic thing was going she was just like eh, whatever like it didn't, yeah. it didn't bother it didn't faze her so one of my favorite examples of this is she did a cover of my humps from black eyed peas <laughs> you know the song the one you danced to in middle school but twerking wasn't quite a thing so it was this awkward rump shake yeah in the corner with your friends um, and you thought you were so dirty for doing it. Yes. And it was very terrible. <laughs> yes, it, it was. And yes, the su- chaperone in the corner was judging you. Yes. 100%. 100%. Um, so <laughs> she takes this song and she slows it down and makes it a piano ballad. <laughs> and girl, does she belt out. Sadly, what are you going to do with all that junk? All that junk inside <laughs> your truck. I gotta listen to this. We'll listen I'll to this afterwards. Because the music video, dear God, the National Recording Registry Registry Library needs to put this video in for cultural significance <laughs> and preservation. It is a, so they're spoofing the original video. But the way the video I saw, it's very grainy. You know, the frame rate's not quite there. It is a time capsule of 2000s Deb fashion. Oh. And, and like that type of comedy of 2000s when you're doing a spoof. It's when we, we first discovered like memes. Yes. And that. Yes. And then the joke just kept going and it doesn't get funny after six seconds. Peak humor was college humor. Yes. Which still exists for some unknown reason. Yeah. It was interesting because I was they did a video about ironic in a college humor 2012 video anyway but it was just peak 2000 fashions hoop earrings those tube tops that kind of like the dresses that tapered down at the bottom were straight that so it made this not a bubble the bubble effect that was not a good look the uh bomber j- jacket you find at deb's like the side bangs that were like full bangs but you kind of just swept them a smidge those. yeah i had them at some point too um i have when- them again now because i'm growing out my current bangs <laughs> nice so when Fergie heard it, she showed her approval by sending Alanis a cake. The cake was butt shaped. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, so along with music, uh, she also did some acting as well. Like most of it's just like Alanis as herself, but some of it's like kind of some real roles. Um some roles were in shows that included Degrassi, The Next Generation, Canadians, Weeds, Nip Tuck, The Great North, which she still has a reoccurring role on. And then my favorite role, where she was in Kevin Smith's Dogma and she played God. 
Now, I have never seen Dogma, but I concur that God is at best a woman and at its greatest, Alanis Morissette. Yes. Thank you, theologians Kevin Smith and Ariana Grande for reminding us. Yes. Um, as far as for legacy, so we're going to, like I said, not a lot to fully cover in this episode, but she is a 90s icon. She did open a lot of doors for that modern pop rock sound that we would have. Um Jagged Little Pill is such a defining album of that time. It's a musical now. And it's a musical. That's exactly, that's where I was going. Oh. They did anniversary albums of it. And then it became a musical that it won like, it was nominated for like 15 it's, Tonys or something like that. It's blown up. I think it's done better than anyone really expected. Because yeah, they, they wrote an original story for yeah. it. Yeah. And that is going to be turned into a book. So that's interesting. I hope Way it's better it. than the Dear Evan Hansen book. Yeah. Real. But yeah, that is Alanis Morissette. Not a super long one, but a fun one indeed. Yeah. Fun topic. Um, we're just drinking water because... We had nuggies. We had the nugs. Thanks for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. A special thanks to Death of Fun for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shewaraku.com. There you'll find links to our socials, all of our show notes, ways to contact us, and you can buy our merch. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. <laughs>